I don't want to talk about that. I'm more more issues to be talking about than that. The problem was still still that at the start, but it got brighter and brighter nearly every day. Oh, never mind. Over six months because this was our season. I think that's rough. Come up to the gutter to get where I am. I'm delighted to be here, but it's been earned. It's, that's a, for it's sure. a great honour. It's kind of surreal, really. The whole thing has okay, been. Okay, you've won them all, and that's pretty mental. What people in social media have done is disgusting. This is Sportsbeat Extra. On this week's show, I'll be speaking about Waterford's hurling campaign and previewing the All-Ireland Hurling Final. But up first, it's a detailed dive into Waterford FC with a man who's regularly on the front line. I'm Sean Connolly, and you are very welcome to Sportsbeat Extra. Sportsbeat with John Kennedy Motors, Cashel Road, Clonmel. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie. I'm very pleased to be joined by a fellow sporting man from the region, a sports journalist for our sister station in the centre, Mr Jordan Norris. You're very welcome to the show. How are you, Jordan? Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Let's rewind a little over two weeks in the announcement that Waterford FC was up for sale, subsequently refuted as not a foregone conclusion by Richard Forrest, a club that you know all too well. How was that felt on the ground? Uh, look, uh, timing as as impeccable as ever, Sean, I suppose. But um, yeah, yeah, look, it, it's it kind of it comes I've always found with Waterford FC even if it comes as a surprise you should never treat it as a surprise nothing has become surprising at that club over mm. the past few years especially in terms of timing it's normally impeccable new manager Dustin I was actually at the RSC that day I'd left that half one came home that evening to see an article online about the club being for sale I said to myself I've only just left yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what you're dealing with I mean I mean, yeah it look time wise terrible Uh wasn't supposed to come out the way that it did. Came down, down some quality journalism from Gavin Cooney, of course. Um, look, it, it was obviously put out as, you know, maybe testing the waters so much with any potential investors and so on. But realistically, if you're looking for 1.3 million for Waterford FC, with all respect to them, then if Waterford FC are worth 1.3 million, then Shamrock Rovers are worth 100 million. Yeah, that's for sure. But as look, you touched on there with regards to to timing and you got a brand new manager after coming over the water and Danny Searle the last thing he needed really and truly wasn't it when he's trying to galvanise a squad that's already on such a run with the existing structure that it had and now you're trying to maybe come in and convince that side that you're the man to take over and then all of a sudden this lands on your doorstep well absolutely I mean the first thing that when you want to come into a new club is you want to create a sense of stability especially after the amount of managers that Danny has come in after I think Danny is the seventh permanent manager in the space of around two two and a half years it's been a managerial merry-go-round at the RSC. It's it's been you no know, one thing that that club club could crave anything is stability, and that's what he's looking to provide. He's looking to bring in a mindset, make the club a more professional operation on the day-to-day basis. And when you have that going on above your head at board level and so on, you know all it can create is a sense of insecurity. And I know he said that he's spoken to the owner and he's gotten assurances that oh you know this isn't the case. But if that isn't the case, then why did that come out? Why was that put out to potential investors? Why? It, it doesn't make sense. It's, it kind of seems to be a case of the owner trying to save face more than anything and create this idea that, you know, he's in it for the love of it and so on. But realistically, I think I'd be very surprised if in 12 months time, Richard Forrest is the owner of Waterford FC. It's certainly seeming that way anyway. Yeah. And I suppose... If you focus on the manager himself, he seems like an extremely motivated and driven guy. He's got a strong background in, in dealing with youth. So, I mean, the squad that he is inheriting in Waterford, so young and vibrant, and obviously prior to him arriving at the club, you had so many players receiving first-team debuts. 
must be delighted with the squad he's received with so many young players to work with. Well, that's it, Sean. Yeah, there's there's the raw materials to to work and create something something brilliant. I know from my own experiences of speaking with him, he's actually said maybe there's obviously look you have some talented young players there, but maybe there isn't enough experienced heads there as well to to create that balance that you'd want in in your ideal squad. But in fairness, for what he has to work with, he he really does see the talent and the potential in the group as well, and he's very ambitious manager. He's spoken to me before he said look if if the club don't get promoted this year it's not going to be down to footballing ability he believes that in terms of football ability and potential that they are the best team in the league he thinks that the main problem really is the mindset and you know how they consistently approach games how they deal with adversity and all the things going on around them for a lot of them it's a first experience even of playing in front of big crowds and so on as well a lot of things can feed into it as well he thinks the mindset seems to be what he's come in to try and change and as he says, that's not an overnight fix. It's very hard to do when you're coming in the middle of a season as well. So I think he might be more looking at a long-term project to try and change the culture and so on at the club. But in terms of the actual football he plays, he plays very vibrant, attacking style of football, very similar to what we saw under Gary Hunt and David Breen. And I mean, look, there might be a little bit of an air of, oh, you know, it's another one of those seasons at the club. But they've won eight of their last nine games. An unusual sort of experience for the manager coming in managers don't normally come into a football club this one six games in a row no and um, yeah yeah I mean I suppose touching on what you said and I suppose something that I spoke with with the man about himself maybe a slight air of naivety within such a squad that has so many young I suppose players that are unknown it's maybe a lot of unknown variables and a bit of naivety in the squad that maybe only experience can facilitate well absolutely and I think if you want evidence enough of that you look at the Galway game because Galway, you know, they did what they had to do. Galway are kind of a team where they have those players that have the experience of the League of Ireland and so on as well. Once Galway got the goal against Waterford, they knew their game management is excellent. Mm. You know, the John Caulfield style, you know, some people don't like it. I personally think football is a results business. You do what you have to do to get the three points. I know you want to play whatever beautiful, lovely football, whatever, but if it's not getting your results, then you have to abandon it. It's a results business. And I think... When Waterford were put up against, you know, a physical outfit, you know, that were, you know, time wasting, you know, kind of getting in their faces and so on as that. Young players sometimes they struggle to adapt to that adversity and, you know, when they're really really in a dogfight, there's only so much a manager can do when there's twenty odd minutes left in the game and he hasn't got experienced heads to, you know, lift the troops, whatever else as well. So I think a lot of it, as you say, is that naivety as well. But again, that's only going to come with experience as well. There is a good level of trust there. I, I can sense that from the manager. I mean, even look at the people that have captained Waterford FC down the past few years. There's been lads as young as nearly 22, 23 that have been captaining the club down the years. So there's experienced heads on young shoulders in a sense. A lot of them have played a multitude of League of Ireland games and so on. But you can't buy experience. You know, it's it, it's really, it, it has an incredible value when it comes to these tough games, especially up the top end of the table. I mean, these young lads, they're not struggling to beat the likes of with all respect, meant the Braves and the Athlones of the leagues. It's the games against the Corks and the Galways where they need to step up, and we haven't seen that this year. And that presents the conundrum that they are in, where they have that sort of breeding space, don't they, on everybody below them? They're pretty much in a league of their own, Sean, in the sense that they're not as good as the two teams above them, but they're probably far better than the six teams below them. There is still an opportunity, though, and I don't think it's, it's a wild expectation I mean, you're looking at a game coming up, I believe, on the 15th of July. Corker are actually playing Galway. Yes. What's to say that there can't be another run of games put together prior to the club coming up against Cork? 
developing more momentum. Whatever about what happened in Galway when the goal was conceded and older, wiser heads maybe prevailed in terms of the game plan. Mm. Those games, they can only increase the experience on what is those potentially naive shoulders. Well, that's it as well. And as you mentioned, Cork and Galway is, you know, a, a lot a lot of rides on, on that result, what will happen on that night, I personally think. If Cork can even as much as escape defeat, I couldn't see them being caught. I think Cork are a very professional outfit this year. They've got that nice blend of youth and experience as well. Cork have some good young players coming through. Obviously, I, I know we'll get to the, the Louis Britton stuff as mm. well, but mm. it's I think Cork and Galway, you know, they're you know they're established. You know, Cork in terms of what they're looking to do as well, they have the mindset of a Premier Division club. I think Galway don't, they've been down in the first division for a long time now, Galway. They want to be getting back to the level that they were previously at. Whereas Waterford has kind of always been, with the past two, three years, it's just been a case of, if we, if we can manage it this week, that'd be great. Like, you know, it, it just, just doesn't seem to be a long-term plan there. And I think that's been seen on the pitch now. You look at the squads, Cork, Galway, you know, they've managed to maintain a few players over the past few years. In Waterford, the squads, I couldn't, you know, there's been maybe 17 new signings in the summer, like, what does that do for stability? It does nothing, you know. Like you have constantly changing squads, constantly changing managers. You know that's constantly changing atmospheres, and you know a club is never going to develop in that sense. Well, let's say it, it's hard to develop camaraderie in a dressing room. Exactly, it's, it's it's hard to be able to to build that training ground mentality that will ultimately breed results. In my opinion, you're in that situation where you've got six games won in the trot, then all of a sudden you have your your match postponed with Cork. And if ever you wanted at times to be travelling to Turner's Cross, it's off the back of six straight wins with that momentum that you have. And look, there's a lot that can be said about teams going in a break, recharging the batteries. Momentum is a huge, huge thing. And I wonder, and I will continue to wonder how much that particular game could have affected them this season. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot of things that could be, you know, dealt upon hypothetically. I mean, if they went up there and they won that and they had Gary Hunt and David Breen in charge, would they have said you know what lads we're going to stick with G until the end of the season maybe we wouldn't have seen Danny Searle you know it's it's very much it all changes and a lot of it to be honest with look, we've seen first hand in Waterford that sometimes what happens is actually no fault on, on the club itself like I mean last year they were relegated and there was one game that was postponed on account of a Covid outbreak that couldn't have been rescheduled so on so you always have these little breaks and so on that you know can prove detrimental down the line as well maybe it could have been an entirely different scenario that we're looking at now if that game was actually played they got three points because it would be a huge psychological hurdle I think for them to beat one of Cork or Galway because that gives them the momentum to go on and believe that they can actually do it they know they're good enough to do it but they haven't done it yet exactly exactly and that's why I have that little thought process in the back of my head that those ifs and buts but that's exactly why they're ifs and buts yeah last thing I want to touch on obviously Mr. Louis Britton as we spoke about a moment ago made the decision that Cork was a more suitable home for his talents. 10 goals in 18 games he had registered for Waterford. Yeah. What are your thoughts and what are the thoughts on the ground with that move? Well, look, I, let's call a spade a spade for what it is. It, it has not gone down well here. Fans are not happy about it. Waterford and Cork is, you know, it's an age-old traditional rivalry. But I try and look at it from Louis Britton's perspective. And if you put two footballing projects in front of me, the project of Waterford FC and the project of Cork, I could not blame him for going to Cork. Because what you're looking at with Cork is your club with stability, as I've mentioned. They look fairly likely to jump back up to the Premier Division. That leads to a cash influx, further investment in the club, bigger crowds coming through the turnstiles. You know, you've got a real loyal support and fairness to the lads up in Turner's Cross. They turn out a serious crowd every week as well. 
if you weigh it up from that sense, you know, it's it's fairly I, I think it's it's hard to, to blame him. But I just think with the whole fact that, you know, it comes at a time when the club are in need of a goal scorer and so on, it's it's kind of it was a bit of a low blow in a sense like that. But it's you know, he's a he's a lone E from Bristol City, you know. He's not aware of the the geographical ins and outs and the rivalries and so on as that as well. He probably never took too much account of it. It's not as if he's, you know, a born and bred academy star from Ballybrick and coming through the club that said, I oh, know, saw this lads, I'm going to Cork. Like it's it's very much a, a different scenario there as well. And I think I personally don't get the vilification end of it. I think if you weigh it up from a purely footballing perspective, it's not surprising. Like people have transferred from Waterford to Cork in the height of their rivalries when they were winning Premier Division titles down the years. Like you have so many good players League of Ireland legends have played for both Waterford and Cork. You know, it's 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 always been a thing. It's just, I suppose, it's, it's like anything when you cross borders, you know, there's always going to be that sense of rivalry and vilification as well. But personally, I think from a footballing project, Louis Britton will score goals for Cork. One thing I will say is, I know he scored 10 goals for Waterford. Eight of them came against the bottom three. That's right. No goals against Cork or Galway. As we mentioned, that seems to be a problem. But, you know, eight came against the bottom three. Then again, you do create chances. He does put them away, to be fair to him. But they've got a new striker in now. They signed, I think he was in Olympic Marseille's youth system. He was, he's an underage Algerian international. That's right. Yeah, he seems to be a decent prospect as well. And he's, he's going to be involved fairly regularly now as well. So hopefully he can fill that void left behind by Britain. Well, that's it. And look, we'll close on this in that the same thing that I will always say. Sport is nothing without rivalry. The no. Ri- the rivalry between Waterford and Cork has been there for longer than you and I and it'll be there long past you and I. These things will happen in sport and it's happened in football for as long as I can remember. If anything, it gives us something to talk about. Absolutely. And I mean, like, as you say, Waterford and Cork, you know, it comes from years of the two counties being at the top tables of sports, obviously soccer, hurling. You know, there's even a rivalry when Waterford play Cork in football, even though they might be three divisions <laughs> above us. You know, we still have the expectation, no, we're going to go out, we're going to beat Cork. But it's, it's always something like that you have. But it, it keeps it interesting in that as well. I think... There is a concession there, though. You know, fans are aware this year that Cork are a level above Waterford in, in the League of Ireland. But that's a level that we need to be aspiring to. We need a long-term plan, and that's what the job of the board and the players and the management at Waterford is to do to match that. But I think with however amount of games left this season, I think it's a bridge too far, and we're probably looking at the playoffs. We'll touch upon this again, and we'll, we'll reassess it in a couple of months' time and see how it has fared out for them and for Danny. Absolutely. Thank you. Sports Beat with John Kennedy Motors, Cashel Road, Clonmel. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie. I'm extremely pleased to welcome GAA journalist, blogger and author, Mr. Dermot Keyes to the show. How are you today, sir? Not bad at all, Sean. Good. So look, what better place to start than with Waterford Hurling? Won the National League title, stumbled over the line against Tipperary and then went toe-to-toe with the best team in the country in their backyard. What happened afterwards? Couldn't typify sport any better, could it? question. I mean, I think it wouldn't just have been wide-eyed, optimistic Waterford people like me at the start of the year, Sean, who would have said that Waterford would be targeting, you would have thought, at a minimum place in the All-Ireland semi-finals given how relatively well the team has done in recent years reaching an All-Ireland uh, final, then reaching an All-Ireland semi-final obviously playing in a much final the previous year and then going on to win the National League this year. So everything seemed to have fallen into place uh, just as Many of us had anticipated at the turn of the year. But I suppose, you know, you look back on things now with the vendor of hindsight and, uh, you know, you look at the Limerick game and you think, yeah, they, they hung in well. But in terms of a contest, an overall contest, like 
those the, the, you could make an argument um, that the, the two late goals somewhat tapered over the cracks uh, from a water perspective. And when you consider how, as you mentioned yourself there, Waterford had stumbled to a win against Tipperary, who are at their lowest ebb for probably 25 years at senior uh, championship level. Uh, I suppose, you know, less than two games in, there maybe w- w- was a distant bell ring as opposed to a, a shouldering alarm. But I suppose the really big, uh, I think it really came home to roost uh, by half time against Cork. Um, Cork came to Welsh Park, their backs were against the wall, they're under massive scrutiny uh, at home. And obviously they've had a change of management since. I don't think there's any great surprise in that either, let's be honest. Um, but in the second half, at home, within touching distance of, of Cork, Waters ran out of gas. And um, it made the trip the following week, in some ways, the trip to Ennis, I should say, somewhat immaterial because uh, we knew it was out of Waters' hands as to whether they were going to progress to the All-Ireland Series after that. But coupled with the fact that um, Cusick Park has been a graveyard for successive Waterford teams over the decades. I think in my time working, I think I'm 23 years working now, Sean, I think I've only seen one Waterford senior team and one Waterford underage team winning in it. We were on a hiding to nothing going up there, and as it turned out, 10, 15 minutes in, that, even that game was over. I mean, it was, it was a humiliating effort. For me on that day against Clare, that was a Clare side without Tony Kenny, without Dermot Ryan and yeah. John Conlon, and they still managed to put up 331 it was uh, oh, yeah. it was a shocking end to the to the season for Waterford, really, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, like we're obviously in Waterford waiting an awful long time um, <laughs> to add a third All Ireland to the two that were won in nineteen forty eight and fifty nine, and you know you could say Waterford reemerged to the top table of senior hurling. You could say in nineteen ninety eight when they reached uh, the league and Munster Finals and narrowly lost to Kate Henney in a, in a low-scoring All-Ireland semi-final. I doubt it will ever be a low-scoring match at that again at that level in Crow Park. And since then, you know, we've come close on quite a number of occasions. And there really was a huge expectation this year that the Warford could, could bridge that gap to Limerick and could present Limerick with a genuine obstacle, um, hopefully more than once now. Um, they hung in well. Uh, the flip side of the kind is they hung in well against Limerick and showed a good bit of bottle in the last 10 minutes. But whatever bottle they demonstrated in the last 10 minutes against Limerick was absolutely... There was scant evidence of it against Cork and there was very little evidence of it whatsoever against Clare. We're 12 matches in now to the round-robin history of the Monster Championship for all the competing counties and Waterford have won one game out of 12. And that's pretty astonishing. When you think what they did in the COVID years, it seems Waterford were better suited to the old, the old-fashioned format. And they have rebounded well in the past with the back door. Obviously, 2017, lost to Cork and Munster and went on and got better after that and reached the All-Ireland final and only lost the four points to Galway. You know, everyone knows what the system is now, Sean. And, you know, we get our two games in Match Park. They're obviously, you have, to, you have to win your home matches. If you win your two games, at worst, you're probably going to finish third. Um, and, like, next year, uh, we're going to have Limerick and Clare uh, the All-Ireland Finals and the Munster Finals in Welsh Park and uh, they're obviously going to be massive matches uh, and then you know, the flip side of it is Waterford will go to Cork to play 43 what guys will that Cork team have how many players will come in how many players will go out and you can make a similar case for going to Thurless I mean we do have the bizarre scenario next year where even at this early stage Sean I suspect that a lot of Waterford fans watching on will be Macking their lips at the prospects of going to Thurless and to Party Grieve and probably having a great deal of hesitancy and reluctance about Waterford's chances 
on home ground against Limerick and Clare. Yeah, and to add further to that, obviously Liam Cattle confirming that he plans to stay on his Waterford bus. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think the fact that he spoke that night in CG Cahar, I think uh, it was great to hear him saying we. Um, and I think that um, allayed a lot of fears uh, from a Waterford perspective. Uh, I think for his own sake, I mean, he's a fiercely proud individual. Um, as anyone who's traced his career at playing and managerial level will be at pains to be aware of. And uh, he certainly stayed on last year with Waterford, um, quoting a sense of unfinished business. Well, if it was unfinished business at the end of last year's championship, it's an even higher hill of beans now in that respect, looking ahead to next year. Himself and Mikey Bevins and whoever will be involved again, whether it's Stephen Frampton and Tony Brown as well as Electors. It will be interesting to see, Sean, what approach they take uh, to the National Hoarding League because there's no doubt that Waterford and indeed Wexford in that respect were, were two of the counties who, who certainly appeared to up their game and hit the ground run as best they could in the league. And then things didn't quite work out for either of them in terms of championship, much more so for Waterford. I think Wexford can look back in the year with a, a relative sense of satisfaction in the greater scheme of things. But um, you just wonder what approach now will Waterford take to the league? Uh, what approach will preparation take to the league? Who's going to be the goalkeeper? He seems to have been the colours to the master, Sean O'Brien, instead of Billy Nolan. Um, the puck-out policy um, was mixed at best. Um, you know, uh, Earla Daly's injury, you, you, wonder, you, you look back at that key moment in the game against Limerick, Aaron Glam was having a quite game um, up until that moment, and then he dominated the game thereafter. And, and Warford weren't the same team after Earla Daly left the field. It was like a tight to bore like the work a shaped hole in the team all over again. Yes. Uh, so uh, I can't imagine uh, Liam would want to walk away from the job feeling that, um, I suppose, leaving it with an, un- an unfulfilled sense of feeling. He left something unopened, maybe, that there was something still there that he hadn't quite yet harnessed. And, and I agree with you. I mean, walking away from yeah, well, that situation wouldn't have been a fair representation as to what that team no, is capable of. No, not at all. And I would say just purely from a personal perspective, I'd say he certainly would never have wanted to leave. Uh, he would never want to leave any job he's taken on um, with that kind of flash, uh, burst tire feeling as the team kind of rolled over the line and, and chugged in on fumes. Um, you do wonder, is the preparation ever going to be totally different next year? Will it, or will it, at a minimum, will it be tweaked? Um, we've seen managers reinvent themselves over the years. Um, perhaps, in some sense, the most surprising of all, Brian Cody. That's it. And I suppose moving on from Waterford, you touched on Brian Cody. Obviously, 18th Leinster title for Cody this year. Astonishing. Much and much made of handshakes with certain individuals. And the prospect of an All-Ireland final now on very, very, very close coming up against the Limerick side that are looking for three in a row. Kilkenny have had a tremendous year, haven't they? Even though there was a couple of games there where you were kind of asking questions, they truly have come up with it when it, when it mattered most, haven't they? Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back even out to the the last round in the league they played when they played Waterford and um, I think that might have been the first time that a lot of Waterford folk would have paid attention to Mikey Butler and he did an excellent job in Desi Hutchinson that particular day um, and he has repeated um, that performance has been quite a few times since um, and you have to hand it uh, to Cody um, no pun intended um, despite losing two games in the group stage I mean look, you could make the argument here to say Here's a Kilkenny team which lost to Galway and uh, to Wexford um, in the Leinster Championship. So who did they beat to get to the Leinster final? They beat Dublin, they beat Westmead, they beat Leach. So the three games they were always going to win, they won. 
and the two games that you could argue say were the most serious challenges we're going to face in length in the group stage they lost. But the Wexford game from their perspective even then, they knew they were through. So even though they never liked losing the game, um, they still wouldn't have been happy that they lost. But they knew they had to make a point to prove in the Leicester final. They won that by five points and they were home to five points better. And we have this Munster Leinster exchange of uh, hurling snobbery every year now on social media and uh, I think Claire having had such a, a lively and adventurous Munster campaign were very widely fancied uh, to win against Kilkenny despite the fact that I don't think Clare had won a match in Crow Park senior level since they won the honour nine years ago and um, Kilkenny blew them out the gate um, the, the, the scoreline might probably flatter Clare somewhat in the end it could have been more than 12 points um, but Kilkenny found uh, another level to their performance um, against Clare and probably produced the best display of the year so far to reach the All-Ireland final. Now they know, facing a Limerick team who have won all their matches so far in the Championship, uh, sorry, they've won all bar one, they drew again against Clare, of course, in the ground robin. Right, yeah. That whatever they produced against Clare, and let's face it, Clare did not play well, irrespective of how well Kilkenny played, they know they're going to have to go another 10-15% higher, probably just to be hanging in there in the last 10 minutes against Limerick. But what they do have, Sean, is they have goals. And they have 11 goals to their name so far in the Championship. And uh, whereas Limerick, the only black mark against this team, they're not a goal-heavy team. I know they're scoring 30-odd points in so many games. It almost negates the need for a goal. Uh, but teams that score goals generally tend to light up fixtures more, which is why the Kilkenny team with Eddie Brennan, Henry Shefflin... Uh, really captured the imagination of the hurling public, especially now in hindsight, when years go by and you know Waterford themselves were victims of more than one occasion of the uh, Kilkenny's attacking might. Um, but you would think a, a Limerick team, which with a full forward line of the potency of uh, a peak Kilkenny team under Cody, would be utterly unbeatable. It's the one thing they don't have. They don't have a proven, consistent goal getter. They've lots of good forwards, but they don't have someone. They don't have a, a Jimmy Barry Murphy or uh, a Paul Flynn, um, or a Henry Shetton for that matter, uh, who who can come up with a goal to drop in the hat. But I suppose maybe they don't need a Sean when they can score 27, 28, 29 points. So this is, a, this, is this great barrier now that someone's got to try and breach. Um, but like, what better team to do it? I, I'll ask you one more question. I'll ask you one question. Get you to lay your cards on the table. Yeah. Is it going to go three in a row or will it go the way of Kilkenny? I think Limerick will win three in a row. I, I think Limerick. I think, they're, I think they're still an excellent team. I think they're probably not quite as good as the two previous All-Ireland winning teams they produced. I think there's been a, 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 a relative level of improvement by some of the teams behind them. Uh, Galway gave them a brilliant match and that could have gone either way. But again, you have to admire Limerick. They have won games the hard way this year. They responded to that Waterford rally. They responded to uh, Tipperary's challenge and finished that game like a train. Um, they, they, they dug out that draw against Clare in Ennis in a hostile atmosphere. Um, they saw off Clare after an epic monster final in extra time, again where they pulled away in the closing minutes, and they pulled away again in the closing minutes against Galway. So it, it, it suggests to me that uh, lung power um, is, as important, is as important an element of Limerick's ability as anything they can do with the ball. And I think... However hard they'll be blown by the full-time whistle, I suspect Kenny will be blown that little bit harder. So you'd have to back a team that's been unbeaten so far in the championship. 
And, well, um, one thing is for certain, it's going to make for a very, very interesting spectacle and fitting that on this moment when Limerick are going for three in a row, that Mr. Cody has an opportunity to have a say in deterring that. Look, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking with you, Dermot. Very much a pleasure as always. And we will look to touch base after the final. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of talking points after that. No, I'm sure we will, Sean. Fingers crossed it'll be a great match. Sports Beat with John Kennedy Motors, Cashel Road, Clonmel. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie. That's it for this week's show. If you've got something you want to talk about or you'd like to discuss your club, society or sporting body, drop me a mail at sport at beat102103.com and I will happily get back to you. Dean's up next with Beat Anthems.